0: Section One of the South American Republics, Volume Two by Thomas Cleland Dawson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Piotr Natter. The South American Republics, Volume Two by Thomas Cleland Dawson, Part One, Peru, Chapter One, The Inca Empire. For many centuries before the Spanish conquest and before the rise of the Incas a succession of great empires existed in Peru. Ruined edifices of unknown date prove that at some remote period advanced civilizations and powerful nations were developed in the coast valleys and on the Andean Plateau. In the tombs which vastly antedate even these megalithic palaces and fortresses, cotton twine, woven cloth, and cobs of maize have been found the domestication and breeding to perfection of the llama as a beast of burden and the alpaca as a fleas-bearer the development of potatoes maize and the quinoa grain must have consumed untold cycles of time there is no doubt of the remote antiquity of the civilization of the indians who inhabit the andean plateau south of the equator nor that their culture was wholly self-developed owing nothing to outside influences About the year 1000, the Incas were merely one of several tribes living on the high, beautiful, and fertile plateau of Cusco, which lies on the eastern edge of the gigantic uplift of the Andes. Down the precipitous gorges, into the steaming and impenetrable forests of the Amazon plain, the civilized Indians never cared to go. The maize, quinoa, and potatoes upon which they depended for food could not flourish in the intense heat and heavy rainfall of those regions neither themselves nor the llamas and alpacas could thrive in the montaña or forested plains their natural habitat was the rough plateau broken by numerous valleys which lies between the eastern and the central cordilleras and extends from the vilcañota nudo shutting it off from the titicaca basin to the transverse range of the cerro de pasco in the north the ocean lies two hundred and fifty miles southwest beyond the central and maritime cordilleras and the bleak plateau which lies between them this great central section on whose eastern edge near its southern border we first find the incas is the heart of peru although the climate of a few of its gorges is almost tropical the valleys have the temperature of italy or spain higher up the crops of northern europe flourish then are pasture-lands, and above all, bleak wilds and peaks covered with perpetual snow. At the dawn of authentic Peruvian history, this favored region was thickly inhabited by many independent tribes, probably all speaking dialects of the same language, and certainly very similar in their industrial life and social customs. Tradition recounts that the Incas had migrated to Cusco from unknown ancestral seats by some conjectured to have been the shores of the prehistoric freshwater sea of the amazon plain under the leadership of manco capac the first of an unbroken line of sovereigns who claimed descent from the sun god and ruled the incas until the spanish conquest the incas developed a religion whose elaborate and rigid ritual which regulated every act of their lives finds its best parallel among the hebrews each family had its household god each sept worshipped an imaginary ancestor the whole nation adored the sun as the progenitor of the reigning family and the monarch's person was revered as divine so profound was the religious feeling of this people that they finally rose to the conception of a supreme deity a creator of the universe his temple filled one side of the great square at cuzco even more remarkable than their religious system was the social and industrial organization of the incas private property in land did not exist it belonged to the septs and was from time to time allotted to the heads of families every person was obliged to work all males being divided into classes according to age and strength and suitable labor assigned to each the produce whether crops or livestock was divided between the government, the priesthood, and the communes. Scarcity in one section was made up from the plenty in others. Public officers annually revised the allotments, and turns at the irrigation works were taken in accordance with fixed rules. Not a spot of cultivable land was left unused. Habitations were built on rocky hills. Deserts or the sides of barren cliffs were used for cemeteries. Whole mountain sides were terraced up thousands of feet, and land was literally created by years of patient labor employed in bringing earth in baskets and laying it on the bare rocks. By no people has irrigation been more extensively and successfully applied, and in spite of their ignorance of iron and steam, of labor-saving appliances and instruments of precision, the Incas constructed a system, which in real effectiveness has never been surpassed many of their canals reservoirs and terraces were allowed to crumble by the spanish conquerors but modern peru still lives upon the half-ruined fragments of the mighty works of the incas secured from want by this intelligent socialism their lives and rights safe under laws administered with inflexible severity bound closely by family and governmental ties Trained from childhood in industry and obedience, the Incas seemed destined to dominate and absorb the more loosely organized tribes with whom they came in contact, provided that they did not become inert, stationary, and unwarlike, and cease to produce individuals possessing initiative. The dynamic elements indispensable to expansion were furnished by the ruling clan and by fanaticism. The offspring of Manco Capac partook of his divinity, and each emperor left numerous sons, whose descendants constituted a privileged class. In the process of time, there gathered around the emperor thousands of men of his own kindred, devoted from their birth to warfare and statecraft. Under the fourth emperor the incas were successful in a life-and-death struggle against a tribe with whom they had hitherto shared the valley that surrounded cuzco under the two succeeding emperors they extended their dominions south to the transverse range of the mountains which separates the peruvian from the titicacan plateau the seventh sovereign conquered the tribes of the eastern slopes and by the beginning of the fourteenth century The Inca domain included the southern third of the great valley of Peru, an area of fifteen thousand square miles, containing probably two million of people. Uiracocha, the eighth emperor, began that wonderful series of conquests which, within a century and a half, extended over half of South America. On the other side of the Vilcaniota Nudo lay the vast basin which takes its name from Lake Titicaca too high and too cold for cereals the plateau was inhabited by tribes of shepherds who made no prolonged resistance when attacked by the armies of the inca their rapid and complete incorporation into the inca system followed colonies swarmed from the overpopulated provinces of the old peru into the newly acquired territories the titicacan copper mines furnished the material for weapons and tools and a great commerce in exchanging the wool, potatoes, and livestock of the higher regions for the maize and cotton of the lower added to the prosperity of the whole empire. This conquest doubled the extent of the Inca domain and opened up a vast field for colonizing expansion within their own territory. Once achieved, the nation turned its attention to the conquest of the north beyond the gorge of the apurimac the inca boundary in that direction lay the rival nation of the chancas a vigorous and expanding people who were at the head of a great confederation of tribes which covered the northern two-thirds of the central plateau of peru and probably also included the quechua-speaking tribes of the coast the canchas defeated urco huiracocha's oldest son and successor and their army advanced towards Cusco, subjugating the northern allies of the Incas. The victors came within sight of the capital, where meanwhile the energetic Yupanqui, Urco's younger brother, had gathered the whole force of the empire. The battle which decided the fate of Peru was fought on the heights above Cusco. The Chancas were defeated and fell back only to be pursued and overwhelmed by Yupanqui he returned in triumph and was installed as emperor in place of his incompetent brother assuming the title of pachacutec or reformer of the world the incas pressed their advantage relentlessly all the tribes of the chanca confederacy were subjected and pachacutec's generals even extended their conquests north of cerro de pasco the incas had now conquered a practicable route to the pacific and the coast tribes about lima soon also fell under their control pachacutec built a great military road from Cusco north along the fertile plateau through the smiling valley of jauja and down the short descent to the neighbourhood of lima colonies were established at strategic points and the new territory became so rapidly welded to the inca system that when the spaniards arrived a hundred and fifty years later they found the whole of central and southern peru occupied by a homogeneous people perfectly loyal to the inca dynasty pachacutec's successor tupac yupanqui proved even more successful than his father the five hundred miles of rainless coast from lima to the ecuador border was inhabited by a mysterious race in civilization and origin entirely distinct from the quechua-speaking mountain tribes to which the incas belonged Short rivers, rushing down from the Andes, each irrigated a portion of the desert, which only requires water to become extremely fertile. The irrigation works of this people were on a gigantic scale, one of their reservoirs having its lower end guarded by a dam 80 feet thick at the base. The valleys were cultivated to the highest degree of perfection, and filled with a swarming and industrious population housed in cities whose ruins still survive, to attest the skill of their builders. Enervated by centuries of peace, the inhabitants had long confined their warlike operations to building defensive fortresses. Nevertheless, when Tupac advanced up the coast, he met a desperate and prolonged resistance until, one after another, the fortresses fell. The capital of the Confederacy was laid in ruins, and great numbers of the people were transported to distant provinces. Garrisons and Inca colonies were established, and a military road was constructed along the coast. However, the country was really held only by force, and even in Spanish times Quechua had not displaced the Mochica Tongue in half the northern coast valleys. Tupac next turned his attention to enlarging the southern limits of his empire. From Titicaca his armies advanced over hundreds of miles of bleak plateaus and barren deserts, and down the steep Andean slopes into the fertile valleys of central Chile. His conquest extended as far south as the river Maule, three hundred miles beyond Santiago, but the tribes retained their autonomy and became rather allies than subjects on the eastern side of the andes he obtained the allegiance of the peoples living in the mountain valleys of northwestern argentine and he completed the incorporation of the vast and fertile plateau which extends from the titicacan basin to the present argentine border returning to the northern frontier he reduced the peoples who lived in the confused tangle of mountains and gorges which lies between the two cordilleras north of cerro de pasco thus extending his boundaries nearly to the present Ecuador line. The rest of northern Peru and all of southern Ecuador belonged to tribes who were loosely attached members of the confederacy headed by the Caras of Quito. They opposed only a short resistance to the arms and diplomacy of Tupac, and he made their territory the base for the great war which he proposed to undertake against the ancient kingdom of Quito. About the year 1455 he advanced with a great army, largely recruited from the tribes recently wrested from the Quito monarch, and defeated the Caras in a great battle. The whole plateau as far north as Riobamba submitted, reducing the Shiri's domain to the neighborhood of Quito itself and a small region north of that city. However, all of Tupac's efforts to force the last barrier which interposed between him and the Cara capital failed and he was compelled to content himself with extending his conquests on the coast as far as the Gulf of Guayaquil. In 1460 he returned to Cusco, where three years later he was enraged to hear that the Shiri was making a desperate and partly successful effort to recover the lost provinces. Tupac's preparations for a final campaign to wipe the Quito kingdom out of existence were interrupted by his own death. Huayna Capac succeeded to the throne and continued his father's preparations. Bad news, however, from the far southern provinces compelled him first to undertake a campaign into Chile, in which he was victorious. He then proceeded north and devoted the rest of his life to conquering and incorporating the Cara Empire. He first constructed a military road from the northern Peruvian coast to the plateau in southern Ecuador then he exterminated or reduced to obedience the tribes on the gulf of guayaquil and the coast beyond nearly as far as the equator returning south he defeated the wild savages of the regions where the amazon leaves the mountains having thus secured himself against an interruption of his line of communications he advanced against quito in overwhelming force The Caras and their allies among the brave tribes of northern Ecuador made a desperate resistance, but were overthrown in battle after battle, and Huayna Capac entered Quito in triumph. All the tribes of the Confederacy submitted, except the Caranquis, a warlike people who lived north of Quito. These achieved some minor successes, but were finally overwhelmed and exterminated. The Inca empire now at its greatest extent included all the inhabitable portions of ecuador peru and bolivia three-fourths of chile and a large part of the Argentine stretching two thousand two hundred miles north and south and from the Pacific to the eastern foot of the Andes except for the plateaus of colombia practically the whole andean region had been united under one government the rest of south america was occupied by savage peoples divided into small bands who picked up a precarious existence along the streams and the inca empire was safe from any serious attack on its continental boundaries but the later conquests of tupac and huayna Capac had incorporated peoples in civilization and warlikeness hardly inferior to the incas themselves Indeed, in the light of subsequent events, it is clear that the later campaigns weakened the real military power and homogeneity of the empire, while the older parts, southern Peru and Bolivia, the heart of the Inca domain, formed a homogeneous and thoroughly loyal center, whose inhabitants all spoke the same language, and where socialism and the worship of the sun, according to the Inca rites, prevailed, from the latitude of Lima north, the country had been too recently subdued to be counted upon. The northern coast still required to be kept down by permanent garrisons, the mountain tribes of northern Peru retained a certain measure of autonomy, and the vast territories where the shiri of Quito had held sway for so many centuries were very loosely attached. Tupac, the first conqueror, found it advisable to remain there almost continuously during the last half of his reign, and Huayna Capac, his heir, was born in Ecuador and devoted his whole life to that region. He married the daughter and heiress of the defeated Shiri, and was regarded rather as the legitimate successor of the ancient dynasty than as an alien conqueror in fifteen twenty five huayna Capac died at quito leaving a will by which he bequeathed the northern kingdom to atahualpa a son born to him by the shiri's daughter peru with the southern provinces fell to huascar his son by a princess of inca blood as the eldest and the legitimate heir according to the rules of succession which governed in the inca dynasty the latter was to be paramount thus retaining a semblance of unity huascar and the inca nobles who surrounded him at the old peruvian capital were unwilling to acquiesce in this virtual division of the empire the chief of the cañaris a tribe always hostile to quito sent a messenger to cuzco offering to swear allegiance to huascar as soon as atahualpa heard of this derogation of his authority he ordered an army to march and unseat the recalcitrant prince and dispatched an ambassador to his brother with a conciliatory message, at the same time unequivocally asserting his claim to the lordship of all the ancient domain of the Shiris Huascar insisted that southern Ecuador, a region which had been wrested from the Caras by their grandfather, and whose tribes had only been allies of Quito, should not be included his bitter feeling against his brother was increased by the reports that atahualpa had assumed Incaial insignia which only a legitimate emperor was entitled to use he returned a harsh answer demanding immediate and unconditional obedience seeing nothing was to be hoped for from huascar atahualpa began gathering the forces of the quito kingdom Huascar was delayed by insurrections which broke out among the tribes of northern Peru and at first could only send a few troops to the assistance of the Cañaris. The latter managed to hold Atahualpa's generals in check until Huascar's main army advanced. Atahualpa retired slowly up the plateau to within fifty miles of his capital pursued by the Inca army. It seemed certain that he would quickly be defeated and either slain or brought to his brother's feet to receive a rebel's sentence but against this invasion inspired by the ruling oligarchy of cuzco the warlike people of northern ecuador stood nobly by the grandson of the last of their ancient line of monarchs though the southerners were victorious in the first encounter in person rallied his army and drew it up in an advantageous position at Naxiche the incas attacked confidently but this time they were hopelessly routed and the chief generals slain with thousands of the common soldiery the remnant fled in disorder to the territory of the cañaris atahualpa could not immediately follow up his advantage and by the time he had organized his forces for an offensive campaign huascar had sent another great army to the rescue under the command of his younger brother huanca When Atahualpa crossed the transverse barrier of Azuay and descended into the fertile plateau north of Cuenca, a terrific battle ensued, which lasted two days. Both sides suffered severely, but the final advantage lie with the northerners, and Huancaauqui sullenly retreated, abandoning Ecuador to Atahualpa. A fearful vengeance was taken on the Cañaris, while the other tribes joined the victor. Next year Atahualpa sent a great force under the command of Quisquis, the ablest Indian general of the time, into northern Peru. Huanca Auqui was again defeated and abandoned the disputed territory, while Atahualpa's troops poured into northern coast provinces. Having met with no serious resistance there, they ascended the cordillera to the neighborhood of Cajamarca, where they met the reinforced Inca army. Again they were victorious and Huascar's forces retreated south of the Cerro de Pasco, followed by Qiskis, whose army grew like a rolling snowball by enlistments among the warlike and half-independent tribes of northern Peru. Huascar's resources were, however, by no means exhausted by the crushing defeats he had suffered during the last four years. The great plateaus of Peru and Bolivia, the most populous and richest portions of the empire, remained faithful, the ruling classes regarded atahualpa's revolt not only as an impious rebellion against the legitimate emperor but as a menace to their own continued supremacy in the state tens of thousands poured up from the southern provinces to reinforce the army which lay in the valleys south of the cerro de pasco in daily expectation of attack but tupac's and huayna conquests had created a frankenstein monster when the ruder nations of the north were first attacked by the inca armies they did not know how to organize and were easily reduced in detail three-quarters of a century of inca rule had taught them what they lacked without destroying the spirit of individual initiative nourished by local autonomy the older parts of the empire had been frozen by rigid socialism and ritual and the people's energies sapped by long centuries of tutelage The northern tribes who followed Atahualpa's banner were superior in military prowess to the Incas who fought for Huascar, uniformly beating the latter with numbers constantly inferior. The balance of power had passed from Cusco and the centre to Quito and the north. Quisquis's forces finally crossed the Cerro de Pasco and poured down into the beautiful and populous valley of Jauja. Again they were victorious and the Incas fled along the road leading towards Cusco. Huascar and his partisans determined to make their last stand at the capital itself. Reinforcements were hurried up not only from Bolivia, but from Chile and the Argentine, and an army, which is said to have numbered 70,000, the largest ever seen in South America, assembled at Cusco. Meanwhile, Qiskis was relentlessly advancing along the plateau, and his main body reached the neighborhood of the city intact. After some maneuvers for position, in which the able and experienced northern generals obtained a decisive advantage, Waskar's camp was surprised at early dawn. His soldiers could not form, and a frightful carnage ensued, in the midst of which he himself was made prisoner. As soon as the capture became known, his followers fled in all directions. Kiskis advanced his camp to the heights overlooking the capital, all idea of further resistance was abandoned, the city submitted, and the principal partisans of Wascar perished in a cruel massacre. End of section one